The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker and you are listening to episode 111 of the podcast or you're joining us here on YouTube. Today is Sunday, October the 7th and we are fresh off of what was allegedly the biggest fight in mixed martial arts history. Before we get into that or any of the other drama that went on this weekend, let me introduce my co-host all the way from mildly humid New Jersey, Jeff. Yeah, I'm Wilson. Jeff, late on a Sunday evening to do the podcast this time. Uh, you've been babysitting all day with the nieces and nephews. Uh, how are you feeling this evening, my friend? Exhausted, Bill. Um, you know, the kids, I love them, but uh, I got to take them in small doses, but I'm not ready to be a dad yet. And spending all day with three kids running around, uh, I think I'm going to hold off a few years before I start having kids, Bill. Smart man. If, if this shit was easy, child support wouldn't be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bill. So, uh, Bill, let's get right into it, because last night featured the return of one of the greats in MMA, Gray Maynard. Bill, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I, he didn't look so good. Uh, there <laughs> Jeff, man, this was intense. This card was intense. I had to take off my pants. You know why? Because my balls was hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you know, this was an awesome card. It, it had, uh, it was kind of like uh, hmm, watching like, like, like skiing or something. Like it had its ups and downs. It, it it's like uh, okay here's the fun part where you're going down the hill and then there's the part where you're just like sitting on the chair taking you back up the hill that's how i kind of felt watching this card um it got off to a great start i mean right off the bat tony martin with an awesome head kick knockout of ryan lafleur and uh you know we're gonna start from the bottom of this card and, and kind of bounce around just because th this is our show and we can do whatever the fuck we want and then from there uh nick lentz with an impressive performance over Gray Maynard, who I don't know, man. He here's a guy who was an awesome prospect coming off the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, he had two epic wars with Frankie Edgar, uh, and then just kind of like fell off for a while. Uh, you know, he 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 ran into a couple of people that that just kind of like. He, you know, he got knocked out a couple of times in a row and then he got outpointed a couple of times and then, uh, you know, got some sporadic wins over people uh, nobody had really heard of. But um, <clears throat> he hadn't fought in over a year, gets back in there with Nick Lentz, who, you know, is Mr. Hot and Cold himself as well. But uh, Nick Lentz looked awesome in his fight against Gray Maynard. So uh, we'll start with this one since you brought it up. Uh, what were your thoughts on uh, the Maynard and Lentz fight? Yeah, dude. Uh, Nick Lentz looked phenomenal in there. Uh, I don't think Gray Maynard had any business being in there with him. He looked slow. Um, his hands were not 
um, able to keep up with Nick Lentz at all. Um, you know, I, I was really surprised when they even announced that Cray Maynard was going to be on this card. Yeah, it, it's always kind of weird when it, when uh, there's a guy you haven't thought about for a while and then he just appears on the card. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, Gray Maynard. When I think of Gray Maynard, I think of those fights with Frankie Edgar. And then, like, I'm game. But um, I, I think that Gray Maynard is a distant memory from what we saw uh, last night. He took a beating from Nick Lentz. And this fight was on the early fight pass prelims, and it actually made it onto the FS1 prelims uh, because there were so many finishes, the card was moving along so quickly. They had some dead air to fill, so uh, they just threw this. Uh, the, luck, luckily for Nick Lentz, um, they were able to throw this fight uh, into those uh, TV prelims, which I'm sure a lot of people were watching because this was a big card. Um, was it the biggest event in UFC history? I sure fucking hope not uh, after the way it ended, but... Uh, <clears throat> You know, good for the the fighters who had awesome performances uh, on this card and didn't make assholes out of themselves. Um, so let let's jump around a little bit. Let's go back up to the main card and and let's start with uh, what deservedly was the fight of the night and had an unfortunate ending. Not as unfortunate as the main event, but I'm talking about Tony Ferguson and Anthony Pettis. This was a fucking war. I had it scored one round apiece at the end of the second round. These guys were a bloody mess. You couldn't really tell who was bleeding. I think Pettis had a cut on his forehead, but I think Ferguson had a cut like inside his mouth, uh, unless he was just drinking Pettis's blood. Uh, <clears throat> this was really awesome. Uh, Anthony Pettis had a hard time finding his rhythm in that first round, uh, just because you know Tony Ferguson is is a very unorthodox guy. You know, he's in there and it seemed like he was stumbling on that, that knee that he had injured, uh, you know, just six months ago. Uh, but at the same time, he still had like this weird rhythm. And, uh, you know, when a fighter doesn't have uh, a real pattern to what they're doing, it's hard to pick up on their tendencies and it, it's hard to get your own combinations going the way that you want them to. Uh, and that's what Pettis struggled with in the first round. And then in the second round, uh, you know, he somehow found a way to land some shots and he got Tony Ferguson down on the ground and there was blood everywhere. It splattered all over John Anik and, <laughs> and Joe Rogan and Dominic Cruz in the commentator booth. Uh, you know, who else, who knows who else got showered in blood, but, uh, this was awesome. Uh, you know, th th this fight is, is what we love about this sport is two guys willing to go out there and put it all on the line. Uh, you know, neither one of these guys wanted to just edge out a decision here. They they really wanted to go to war in this cage, and uh, you know they still respected each other after all was said and done. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Bill, uh, for me, this was fight of the night, man. Uh, Tony Ferguson coming out strong, and I thought Anthony Pettis was doing a good job of those leg kicks because in the first round, Tony Ferguson looked a little uncomfortable with his movement. Uh, especially after taking those two really hard leg kicks from Pettis. I don't know why he he uh, didn't go back to the well with those. And 
Um, you know, for like you said, Ferguson looked like he was getting the better of Pettis in the first round. He was able to find his range rather quickly. And then Anthony Pettis in the second round was looking much smoother, um, was letting his hands go a little bit more and landed this right hand that cracked Tony Ferguson, put him right to the mat. And Pettis was doing a pretty good job uh, off the top. And we've talked about how good his ground game is from the bottom. But he was doing a really good job of transitioning and making Ferguson uh, work and pin him down. It's a shame that in between rounds, Pettis told his coach that he broke his right hand, which is his power hand. And, um, you know, I was upset that the fight was stopped in between rounds. But I got to give all the credit in the world to Duke Rufus and his team because they... Uh, didn't want to put Pettis in any danger. They didn't want him to get injured any further, and they called the fight for the fighter safety. So, gotta love him for that. Yeah, that it was a good decision, and you know, an admirable one by Duke Rufus. And he didn't even hesitate. He said, "Your hand's broken. I'm not putting you back in there." Uh, and that's it. It was done. He waved the fight off. Um, <clears throat> a not so great decision before that was Jason Herzog, the referee, stopping the fight because of the blood over Pettis's eye. Uh, it wasn't really getting in his eyes, but you know, Anthony Pettis had Ferguson stunned. You know, he had him hurt on the ground, and Tony Ferguson is a guy who we know has amazing recovery time. So, you know, did this impact the outcome of the fight? I, I don't want to say yes, and I don't want to say no, but. Um, you could tell Pettis was frustrated that Herzog stopped the fight. And then he also gave, uh, Tony Ferguson an opportunity to wipe the blood off of his face. Um, I don't think that's how it's supposed to work. If a fighter has a cut right over their eye, I think the doctor is only allowed to clear enough out of their eye, uh, so that they can see if the blood is going to impair their vision going forward. Um, I don't think you're supposed to wipe off the fighter's entire face. At least this is the way it's always been before, unless there's been some kind of change to the rule that I'm not aware of. And then, um, you know, letting the opponent wipe his face as well. Uh, it was a very awkward pause in the action by Jason Herzog. And you could tell Anthony Pettis was frustrated because he knows that Tony Ferguson was taking that time to recover. And then, <clears throat> you know, he recovered. <laughs> uh, it turns out it didn't matter because the action stopped, but you know, is there a possibility that Anthony Pettis could have gotten a finish in that time? Yeah. Um, or, or he could have, you know, maybe if he had hurt Tony Ferguson a little bit more, it would have been worth it to go out there with that broken hand and try and finish the job. Um, I don't know. Uh, but you know, it, it's just food for thought and, uh, you know, definitely credit to Duke Rufus for, not wanting to put his fighter in unnecessary danger. Uh, I don't think Pettis's stock goes down whatsoever after this fight. I think he's back in the conversation at 155, which is a clusterfuck right now. Um, and, you know, we might as well get into that. You know, Tony Ferguson said in the post fight press conference, he's the champ, uh, but he'll fight anybody. He'll fight Connor, he'll fight Khabib. Uh, he thinks that uh, him and Khabib deserve the fifth chance to put this fight together. Any other thoughts on Ferguson Pettis before we move on, Jeff? Yeah, man. Uh, I think that they should definitely try and attempt that Habib versus Tony Ferguson fight. You know, the fifth time's a charm. And, Bill, um, I think we need to form a search party uh, to look for Tony Ferguson's mind, man. He has been 
all over the place in interviews, man. Uh, at one point, he was like, who's your favorite Ninja Turtle? Mine's Michelangelo. I'm like, <laughs> well, dude, what are you saying? But, uh, yeah. you know, aside from Tony Ferguson's mental health, physically, it looked great. Um, so I'm excited to see what's next for him in the lightweight division. Yeah. You got to wonder about Tony Ferguson, like what's going on in that guy's head, because he says some really awesome things like at the open workout. He had this really great motivational speech and he talked about coming back from his injuries and the doctors told him he would be out for at least a year. And he was here. He is back in the cage uh, six months later, which is a phenomenal physical achievement. And it really speaks to what a freak athlete he is. <clears throat> but yeah, the way he goes off on on rants sometimes where he, you know, he has uh, what we call in public relations pocket statements, which means you have something in mind that you want to say and a point you want to get across, and you're going to say it no matter what questions you're asked. And it's really a fantastic PR strategy to have that. So somebody could say, how did the fight go and what do you want next? And you can take that question <clears throat> and just insert your pocket statement, even if it doesn't answer their question directly. The soundbite is always going to be what your answer is. So Tony Ferguson is pretty good at that. But then when he tells stories, it, it gets a little weird. Like at the post-fight press conference, he told a story about how he ran into Conor McGregor uh, backstage and Conor McGregor was doing his strut. And then he saw Tony Ferguson and he stopped in his tracks and he wanted nothing to do with him. It was kind of a weird story, but okay, fine. Uh, go, you know, fast forward five or six questions later in the press conference. And he tells the exact same story when he was asked a completely different question. Uh, and he told it the exact same way. He's like, yeah, I saw Connor backstage and he was doing his strut and he turned and looked at me and then he stopped in his tracks and he wanted nothing to do with me. And I was like, I know I just heard this story. I know I don't have CTE. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know granted he just came out of one of the best wars uh we've seen in a long time and you know he still considers himself the champ uh he was the interim champion six months ago uh actually less than that because he was stripped uh of his interim belts uh, you know less than six months ago uh and he hasn't lost so I, I guess he has a right to claim that he's a champion, um, but who knows what's going to happen, especially after the disaster uh, that followed the main event. So let's get into that. And I don't want to take away from the actual fight. Obviously, everybody, all the media outlets are talking about the, the drama that ensued uh, after the fight was over uh, and who was right and who was wrong and I definitely have an opinion on it, Jeff. I know you do too, but um, our priority here is always going to be the action that takes place inside the octagon. And I really want to take time to break that down first uh, before we get into the drama side because we always try to veer away from that. Uh, I, I know I always get the point across that, um, you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity. And uh, down the road, these things can be good for the sport. Um, but you know, there's definitely a negative spin on a lot of this as well, but, um, <clears throat> we like to keep things positive here. So let's look at the main event itself. I thought this was a fantastic fight. Um, do I think that going into this, it was the biggest fight in UFC history? No. Uh, I think the only thing making that true was Joe Rogan saying it and Dana White saying it and, 
anybody else who was responsible for promoting this fight saying it. And, you, you know, I don't blame them. The UFC's numbers haven't been great, uh, especially in the past year and with Conor McGregor out and with John Jones having his drug test problems and, and everything like that. <clears throat> um, you know, the, the pay-per-views just haven't been selling. So they needed something to give this a little boost. Um, and <clears throat> I think this fight delivered. Uh, I think if you go back and look at it for just the fight, I think we, we got exactly, uh, what we could have hoped for out of it. Uh, you know, they felt each other out in the first round. Uh, Khabib was able to hit a takedown. Connor stayed, stayed calm on the bottom. Uh, just like we predicted he would, just like he did against Chad Mendez. Uh, he was able to keep his back up against the fence and not expend a lot of energy in that first round. Uh, he was able to um, keep Khabib below his hips, which helped him not take a lot of damage, and he looked fine after that first round. Uh, definitely a first-round win for Khabib. The second round, Khabib beat on him a little bit more. I, I would say that this round would probably it'd be a 10 eight. If it went to the judges scorecard, uh, you know, Khabib was able to get past Connor's hips and I still think Connor did a good job, uh, of surviving. You, you know, Khabib also landed a big shot that rocked Connor on the feet, which a lot of people didn't see coming. Uh, he did, a, he did a great job of being long with his punches. Khabib, uh, he wasn't throwing a whole lot of them, but when he did, uh, he was able to keep Connor at the end of them. Usually Khabib shows throws, uh, really short punches and he kind of wings them out a little bit because he just throws them as a distraction to close the distance for a takedown. But, uh, that long punch that rocked Connor was really impressive. So <clears throat> beat Connor down, broke him down in the second round. And Dominic Cruz had made a comment saying that maybe Connor's just trying to get Khabib tired here. And I think a lot of people probably laughed that off, including Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan even said, no, he's getting smashed here. But when Connor went back to his corner, uh, you know, he was feeling good and his corner said, you know, this is exactly what we want. So maybe it was a weird strategy. It It's odd to think that you would want Khabib on top of you, punching your brains out for an entire round uh, just to tire him out. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, I, I was impressed with Connor's grappling in this fight. Like I had said last week, his grappling is very underrated. I think he did a lot better uh, than we've seen other people do with better grappling credentials underneath Khabib. Uh, and he came out in that third round and I believe he won it. You know, he pieced Khabib up a little bit in that round. Uh, he landed some really nice strikes. He stuffed a couple of takedowns, uh, and started to take some of Khabib's confidence away. And it looked like we had a, a you know, really interesting fight on our hands. And then of course came the fourth round where it seemed like, uh, Connor was just taking too many unnecessary shots. He was keeping his hands down like he usually does. And once Khabib realized he could land a little bit, uh, you know, he, he tagged Connor's face up a little bit, took him to the ground. And then we had to finish, uh, a neck crank coming at, uh, three minutes into the fourth round. And I, I believe that the neck crank was intentional. I think he could have gotten the choke if he wanted to, but he wanted to make sure that Connor tapped, uh, I think he wanted to make a point of that. So just to clarify what I'm saying, if it's a choke, Connor could just go unconscious and never tap out. And he could say, like, you know, I never tapped out to Khabib. But with a neck crank, it's just painful. It crushes your jaw. It, it hurts your neck. And um, 
the only way out of it is to tap. You're not going to go to sleep from it because it's not cutting off the blood flow to your brain. So I think the neck crank was intentional. So Khabib could prove a point by making Connor tap. And <clears throat> I, I think it was a very fitting way for it to end, you know, given the back and forth they had and, and Khabib saying that, you know, Connor is a quitter and he's a chicken and he, he taps out um, this and that. So if it had ended there, then it's a perfect storybook ending for Khabib. You know, he gets the redemption for everything and he gets to walk away looking like a hero. Unfortunately, it didn't go down that way. But before we get into that, Jeff, um, I, I know I gave uh, some really detailed insight to this fight, but I know you probably saw some things that I didn't. So uh, what were your thoughts on the actual fight itself? Yeah, Bill, I think that... <clears throat> From Habib's side, I think that everything we talked about essentially happened. Um, you know, he went mostly for the takedowns, especially in the first two rounds, basically ignored the stand-up. Uh, I thought he did a good job of taking a lot of Connor's shots, and he got in his face a little bit. There were times where he put his hands down and was okay with taking shots. And uh, to go back to what you said about the second round, where Dominic Cruz said that um, that he that Connor was trying to tire Habib out, I thought it made a lot of sense actually, um, because Habib was uh, landing some big shots, and it looked like Connor was moving his head when he was on the bottom, uh, so it looked like he wasn't taking too much damage because he was kind of rolling with the punches. And, Bill, uh, I always go back to this example where when Brock Lesnar sh uh, fought Shane Carwin for the UFC Heavyweight Championship and uh, Shane Carwin basically gassed himself out in the first round doing that exact same thing with that vicious ground and pound. Um, Bill, the only thing I think the only mistake Connor made was that he underestimated Habib's gas tank. I thought Habib was kind of gassed out because when the third round started, he, he was taking some deep breaths, and I I kind of thought Connor would uh, increase the volume of his punches a little bit more. And uh, I thought he did well in the round, but it kind of felt like that third round, both of them kind of took the round off a little bit. I saw a lot less action uh, from Connor. I saw virtually no takedown attempts from Habib in the first three minutes of that round. And uh, the fourth round, like you said, it was, I think that Habib wanted to um, not just put Connor out. I think he wanted to torture him a little bit with that uh, neck crank. And even after Connor had tapped, it took the ref to break Habib's hands apart because Habib didn't let go right away. And then he was in his face and everybody else kind of knows what happened after that, which, you know, I, I agree with you, Bill it was a big debacle, but Bill, let, let's get into it. Let's, uh, if you want, let, I want to hear your initial thoughts on this. Yeah. Just, um, one more point I wanted to make, and that's the way that <clears throat> both of the guys looked at the beginning of the fight, which I, I thought was interesting because Khabib looked a lot leaner than mm. he usually does. You know, yeah. he he not only had abs at the weigh-in, but he was looking pretty ripped when he got in the cage, even after he rehydrated, which says that he he took his weight cut very serious this time. <clears throat> you know, I think he was really disciplined, which is awesome to see because that's always been, you know, the one criticism about him uh, is that, you know, he hasn't made weight in the past, and it was a big concern about this fight coming together. Connor, on the other hand, did not look as ripped as he normally did. He looked like he went a lot more carb-heavy during his training camp, which tells me that he was doing a lot of grappling. 
because when you do a lot of striking training, it just leans you out because it's a different kind of cardio. When you do a lot of grappling, it makes your muscles a little bit more dense. And, you know, grapplers typically are not very ripped. They're more dense, you know, bulkier, uh, slow twitch muscle and strikers typically are leaner and they have more fast twitch muscle, kind of like an Anderson Silva build, like a Conor McGregor build. Uh, <clears throat> you know, if you look at a lot of Muay Thai fighters, they're not like stocky, they're long and lean, but they're strong as fuck. Um, so that was something I noticed right off the bat that, Connor had probably been doing a lot of grappling in his camp because he was looking a little bit thicker and not as ripped. And Khabib was probably doing a lot, uh, a lot of striking in his camp. <clears throat> All right, Jeff. So here's the thing. Khabib wins the fight. He should be able to uh, put his belt on, uh, you know, raise his hands, walk out of there. And, and be in the conversation for the greatest lightweight of all time, uh, you know, pound for pound discussion, greatest fighter of all time, uh, um, you know, possibly call out GSP in the, in his post fight speech because that's what he wanted. Uh, he didn't have to, you know, show good sportsmanship and and shake Connor's hand. You know, that's not a requirement whatsoever. It, it definitely does show good sportsmanship. But so what he did was he screamed in Connor's face. Um, the, you know, Herb Dean had to kind of pull him back a little bit. And then once he was separated from Connor, he locked eyes with Dylan Dennis, who is Connor McGregor's jujitsu coach who did Connor no good during this fight, by the way, because there was one point where Khabib had Connor pinned up against the cage and you could clearly see Dylan Dennis's face, uh, sitting behind the cage and he wasn't saying anything. Now, it's great if you have a Marcelo Garcia black belt in your corner, but it would be even better if they're giving you advice when you're in a grappling exchange, like being pinned up against the cage by a Dagestani mauler like Khabib. <clears throat> so anyway, that point aside, Khabib locks eyes with Dylan Dennis. I guess they had exchanged words before. He starts yelling at him, and then he jumps over the cage, and he basically Hulk stomps uh off the cage platform and goes after Dylan Dennis and attacks him. In the meantime, I'm not sure what order things had happened. Conor McGregor punches one of Khabib's uh, coaches who was up on the cage. And then Conor gets off the cage and another one of Khabib's guys jumps over the cage and punches Conor twice in the back of the head. Uh, a couple of other guys tried to get at him and were not successful. It was broken up by security <clears throat> and they finally get Khabib, uh, I guess somewhat settled down and back in a cage and Connor leaves, which, um, you know, even in a loss, you're, you're going to want a soundbite from Connor at the end of this thing, uh, just to, to try and sell a rematch to use for promotion down the line. Uh, they didn't get that Connor left. And then Dana white came in the cage and he decided he's not going to put the belt on Khabib because he thinks the crowd is going to go crazy after seeing uh, Khabib's actions, which is a reasonable thought. Uh, I can't imagine uh, being in a position where I have to make that decision. Uh, and there's, you know, however many million people watching and you're, you're going to make a lot of enemies by not putting the belt on the guy. But at the same time, you know, he wanted to make sure the crowd was safe. And uh, from the result, it looked like it was the right decision because they were able to get Khabib out safely. 
um, my, my thought on this and, you know, there's a lot of different ways you could look at it. There is no reason ever to put your hands on somebody that you're not in a sanctioned fight with. And that should never be a, a thought that even crosses your mind as a martial artist. Uh, I, I thought it was a really disgusting display. There's no reason to go and attack basically bystanders. Granted, Dylan Dennis is a quote unquote fighter himself, but that night he was a corner man and there's no reason to do that. Now, the, obviously, Khabib is loved in the MMA community, so a lot of people are quick to defend him, and that's fine, but uh, this is not defensible behavior. This is not something that you should be doing at all. Uh, get up, walk away, put your hands up, put your belt on, and you know, cut a promo and, and call out whoever you want for your next fight and move on with your life. I, I know a lot of inflammatory things were said in the buildup for this fight, and the line was probably crossed a few times and Conor McGregor's done a lot of dumb shit himself. And I wouldn't excuse any of that. It's not right that Conor McGregor threw a dolly at the bus and it's not right that Conor McGregor throws water bottles at Nate Diaz. And it's not right that Conor McGregor jumped over the cage and tried to attack Jose Aldo a couple of years ago. Um, I don't think these things are, you know, mutually exclusive. I think you can, condemn both of these guys and also be a fan of both of these guys because that's where i'm at i love both of these fighters as martial artists and what they're able to do in the cage but i find both of their behavior outside of the cage to be disgusting uh khabib has been known for this before he's gotten into a fight with nate diaz uh at a bellator event uh he put his hands on artem lobov uh, backstage at another ufc event uh, and now he's attacking cornermen. Uh, he shouldn't be doing this. And the, the one thing I definitely don't want to hear is that Conor McGregor said too many bad things. Like, oh, he was talking about his religion. He was talking about his father. Uh, that's not an acceptable reason to attack a guy's cornerman. It, it's just words. You're grown men. You get to get in the cage and fight and settle it, which you don't get to do anywhere else. Anywhere else, you have to just deal with it. If you're at a job or something and somebody says something you don't like and they don't get fired for it or something, you just have to suck it up and deal with it. At least you get to go in there and, and take Conor McGregor down and, and punch him in the face. Um, so the, the things that Conor says is definitely no excuse for his behavior. And the fact that Conor has done stupid things in the past is no excuse for his behavior. Khabib should not be jumping out of the cage to attack people that he's not sanctioned to fight with period. And, uh, you know, that's my thought on it. Um, you know, there's a whole other angle you could go with it where, you know, everybody's talking about this. It, it went ballistic on social media and it's going to get a lot more eyes on the UFC, which I normally say is a good thing, but, uh, you know, shit's starting to get a little bit too, carried away and i'm talking about both connor and khabib when i say that uh i'm not a fan of the out of the cage antics which is why we usually don't talk about it on this show uh you know we don't talk about connor unless he's got a fight coming up and we try to stick to breaking down the fight so that was a whole 
long explanation of what happened and my thoughts on it, Jeff. Uh, I know you have your own opinions, and I'm sure we're probably pretty aligned on most things. So uh, why don't you give me your reaction to the chaos that went down after the main event of UFC 229 here in Vegas? Yeah, Bill. So you you did a good job of covering a lot of it pretty well. So I'm just going to kind of um, give you my two cents and my thoughts is honestly, Bill, it's un- it's unacceptable. It's unprofessional. Um, you know, Connor, was he OK? People are saying, you know, Connor started by throwing the dolly at the bus and he hurt a bunch of fighters. Yeah, that's unacceptable as well. But you know, he's had his day in court. He's, he's been, you know, uh, held accountable for that by laws. And that's what we have laws for to make sure that shit like this doesn't happen. And like you said, Bill, this is the only job in the world where if you have a problem with someone, you can kick the shit out of them and no one's going to sue you. No one's going to, you know, take any legal action against you for doing that. So to see Habib, you know, uh, have all this happen after the fact is totally unacceptable. He should have just gotten up and, you know, um, two wrongs don't make a right. What Connor has done is wrong too. Um, you know, he, he could, he, I think he crossed a few lines, but I agree with you, Bill. They're just words. Words never hurt anybody. And if you think that words can hurt you grow up, right? <laughs> Simple as that. Um, but dude, uh, like I said, it's just unacceptable. Um, it left a sour taste in my mouth, especially after the the performance that he put on. I mean, I I thought he looked almost flawless in there. I I thought there was no need for this afterwards. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it was it was definitely uh, a really shitty ending to a really awesome performance by Khabib because he really could have cemented his legacy here. You know, twenty seven and zero. Uh, he beat a guy who's on a lot of people's pound for pound uh, all time greats list, you know, two division champion, um, and it it really it really ruined it. Now, uh, I, I'm gonna emphasize again. I don't like I don't like the argument that Connor's done a lot of a lot of dumb shit in the past too, because you know Connor, you know he walks the line uh, by playing this character that he does in, in the media and. A lot of people still don't realize that that's what it is. It's the character. He's selling the fights. Uh, it's part of the marketing, and he's kind of trapped playing this character. He has to be on at all times. Every time he gets in front of a microphone, he has to be that guy that he has established himself at. He has to say inflammatory things. He has to do crazy things, and he has to try and push that line and go right up to it and not go over it. But he has gone over it in the past. Now, jumping over the cage to get in Jose Aldo's face, I don't think crossed the line. I think that was actually great marketing to build up the Jose Aldo fight. Jumping over the Bellator cage and putting his hands on an official in Ireland, that was crossing the line. He definitely shouldn't have done that, and he probably should have gotten a bigger punishment for doing that. Uh, Throwing water bottles at Nate Diaz, uh, that's pretty good promotion for the fight it's childish but i don't think it's crossing the line throwing a dolly at a bus that's fucking stupid he shouldn't have done that uh you know he could have gone in there and made a scene uh, without hurting anybody or or putting people at risk um but i i think when you're put in that position and i'm not trying to defend connor's behavior whatsoever but when you're put in that position where you always have to be outdoing yourself because 
that's the reputation that he's established for himself. When you put yourself in that situation, um, you know, you're going to end up going over that line sometimes. And then when he's getting in Khabib's head, I, I can definitely understand why Khabib got more upset uh, than, than most fighters because he's so stoic and so, you know, he seems to be so emotionless that like to push him to the point where he is mad, uh, it, it's probably to the point of no return. Um, you know, he comes from a very different culture where they're not, they're not ball breakers over there. They don't tease each other. They're very literal people. You know, if you tell somebody something, um, that's shitty about themselves, they take it literal every time. It's not promoting a fight. It's not playing a game. It's not mental warfare. It's okay. You say that about me. I, I want to fucking kill you. And that's the mentality that Khabib has. And unfortunately, it's not the mentality that is conducive to good sportsmanship. Now, I don't know what's going to happen. I do know that the guys who put their hands on Connor in the cage after the fight were arrested and detained, but Conor McGregor did not want to press charges. So they were released. Uh, now that may be because, you know, he really doesn't care and he was really upset about the loss uh, of the fight to Khabib because that's what he told Dana White. It may be because he also put his hands on a coach, uh, which was, you know, that came out in, in some of the later footage that was released. Some of the cell phone footage that's been going around the internet that show that Connor may have, uh, throwing the first punch and, but you know, that still doesn't uh, excuse what Khabib did. Uh, now the Nevada state athletic commission is going to be the one to determine what happens with Khabib going forward. So they withheld both of their purses, I guess, um, you know, the money is released to the fighters, uh, after the fight is done, you know, you fulfill your duties. That's, uh, that are written in your contract and then you get paid. The money is released to your account. So they withheld both of them. They went back and looked at the tapes now, these are just the tapes that the UFC had. This is not the cell phone footage that was released later. And they decided that Connor didn't do anything wrong, so they released his money. Uh, they withheld Khabib's uh, because if they end up finding him, they're just going to take the money, I guess, right out of his purse. Um, now, <clears throat> there's a lot of other things that can happen here. And it, it could end up being very serious for Khabib. If the, if the Nevada State Athletic Commission decides to suspend him, or revoke his license to fight uh, for a attacking someone who's not a fighter, this could be a big problem for him and his ability to stay in the country. Because if you're in this country on a work visa and your job is being a professional fighter and your license to fight is suspended, guess what happens to your work visa? It goes out the window. And we already know Khabib's father has had problems getting a visa to come into this country just to corner Khabib in his fights. You know, he hasn't been able to come to his last couple of fights because he's stuck in Dagestan because, you know, the work visa situation is not so great right now. And, and we won't get too deep into politics here, I promise you. But uh, I'm just kind of giving the worst case scenario here. So if that were to happen and he's suspended for a long time and his license gets revoked, now what happens when when that goes down and the same thing happened to Mike Tyson, when he bit Vander Holyfield, um, you know, for those old enough to remember this happening, he had his license revoked. And, uh, what happens is you can reapply for your fight license one year later. 
Um, but when you don't have a work visa to be in the country, uh, it, it makes it a much stickier situation. So it really depends on, you know, how harsh the Nevada state athletic commission wants to be. Uh, you know, we've seen them be very harsh on some people like Nick Diaz for just smoking weed and getting a five year suspension. And we've seen them be more lenient, like recently with John Jones, where, uh, you know, there was the snitch clause and, and whatever else went down and he only got a 15 month suspension when he could have gotten four years or, or whatever the worst case was. So this could be a really shitty situation for Khabib. Here you are 27 and 0. uh, you should be on the biggest high of your life right now because you just beat the crap out of the guy who's been talking shit about your whole country and your family and your religion and everything else. Um, and you could have called out GSP and then rode off into the sunset and never have to deal with Conor McGregor again. Now you're going to possibly be regretting your actions after beating up Conor McGregor for the rest of your life uh, because this could really affect Khabib's career. Uh, you know, I know he was talking about retiring and everything after this fight. And, you know, there were rumors of that from his teammates and stuff, but, um, uh, this could be a really fucked up situation for Khabib and that would be unfortunate to see. So, uh, Jeff, did I, did I put anything in your head that you hadn't thought about, uh, any new perspective here? And do you want to add anything to everything I just said? No, you're absolutely right, Bill, on all accounts. And <clears throat> speaking of holding up his purse, Bill, I was looking at the fighter payouts, and Habib should have gotten a cool $2 million, which would take care of him. He could live comfortable off that. Um, and now he, he messed it all up, man. All that money is in jeopardy. I doubt that another fight, unless it's with like GSP, would get him this amount of money. Um, I don't think he's gotten this amount of money, maybe in all of his previous fights put together, you know? So, you know, he just, he fucked up. It's that simple. And, um, but Bill, let's, let's move away from this a little bit because, um, we were speaking about, uh, how harsh his punishments were, but Bill, something that is not harsh that, I really did not want to like Bill because I'm not a big fan of Conor McGregor. I like seeing him fight, but I really didn't want to like this uh -huh. was I was able to pick up a bottle of proper 12 and Bill it's good stuff. It is. <laughs> it is like Jameson light is what I want to say. It's, it doesn't have such a big kick at the end where, um, it feels like you're going to get a little bit of heartburn. It's so smooth going down. It's got a nice caramel color. Bill, I love this stuff. Uh, I'm a little scared now because I might have one of the few bottles remaining. Um, so when I bought it, the guy, the dude who sold it to me told me that um, a lot of stores in New Jersey had gotten limited supply because it was a promotional thing. So they only got one or two cases. So uh, I was lucky to get a bottle. He was running low on supply, actually. So, Bill, after the results of all this and Connor losing, I mean, I don't know if that's going to put a hurt on uh, on proper 12 getting off the ground here. No, I don't think so. Um, I, I think regardless of the outcome of this fight, uh, Conor McGregor doesn't lose his like star and celebrity status. Uh, I see him bouncing back from this. He's already calling for a rematch with Khabib. Um, and if that happens, it may have to happen overseas and it may happen in Dublin. Uh, who knows? Uh, that's kind of my prediction. 
I'm thinking like maybe February time frame if they do the rematch. Uh, it'll happen there. I don't know if the UFC is going to want to try and do Khabib and Tony Ferguson. That's what I would like to see personally. Uh, you know, you and I were looking so forward to that fight the last four times they tried to put it together. <laughs> um, but I, I'm glad you enjoyed the proper 12 and I don't, I don't see it as an endorsement of Conor McGregor. I see it as an endorsement of, of liking whiskey. And, yeah. uh, personally, Jeff, last night while I was watching, uh, this Russian wrestler mall, this Irish striker in the United States, I was drinking some Japanese whiskey <laughs> just to make it a fully global and multicultural <laughs> event. So the, the, one of the many perks of being a podcast host about mixed martial arts and alcohol, uh, as we have on our hands here, Jeff, is that when you invite people to your house to watch the fights on Saturday night, um, you know, they want to impress you and bring over good booze. So my buddy Jeff came over and he brought a bottle of this Habiki Suntory whiskey, which is, uh, uh, Japanese whiskey. Now, a lot of Japanese whiskeys are basically scotches, but mm. they can't technically be called scotches because they're not from Scotland. They're from Japan. But, um, you know, they have that very uh, peaty, slightly smoky kind of flavor to it. The hibiki is very light. Um, if you're watching on YouTube right now, I'm holding it up. You can see it kind of looks like even like an Irish whiskey because uh, mm -hmm. it's not aged it's not aged very long, but uh, just the distillation process is so thorough with the Japanese because they're so disciplined in everything they do that they, they want to make sure that they do something right if they're going to invest their time in something, uh, which is why Japanese whiskey is so amazing. It's hard to come by here in the States because they don't export a lot of it. So <clears throat> I don't know if it'll be as hard to come by as proper 12 uh, in, the <laughs> in the coming months, but uh, it's definitely hard to get it get your hands on it, but it, it is excellent stuff. Uh, very smooth. Um, I, I'm drinking this just neat right now, no water, no ice. Uh, and you know, it, it's really helping soothe my throat, which is very aggravated from having to talk about all this bullshit drama <laughs> that I, <laughs> that I hate so much. Um, you, you know how much I hate to harp on the negative Jeff. So um, we talked about some good booze. Let's talk about some good fights and uh, let's end this show on an upswing here. So Dominic Reyes getting uh, a huge win uh, in the UFC over Ovin St. Prue, who is a, a top ranked prospect in this very, very thin light heavyweight division. So he gets a unanimous decision victory on paper. A lot of people thought it should have been a knockout. Ovin St. Prue hitting the canvas with just a couple of seconds left and Dominic Reyes walking off. Dan Mergliata said, you have to get up. And just as he said the word up, the horn went off to end the round. Um, Joe Rogan thought it should have been a knockout. Dominic Reyes should have thought it should have been a knockout. I thought it should have been a knockout initially. And then when they replayed it, I didn't, I didn't hear the horn at first, but when they replayed it and he said, you got to get up. And it was like, right when he said the word up, I was like, all right, I guess I should go to the judge's scorecard. Now, what would have been really <laughs> fucked up for Dominic Reyes would be if he lost the decision <laughs> after <laughs> basically putting Owen St. Prue to sleep at the end of the fight. Uh, I thought it was a good, solid performance by Dominic Reyes. Uh, a lot of straight punches. He was able to 
uh, control distance really well against a very unorthodox striker in Ovin St. Preux. Uh, what were your thoughts on the ending of this one, Jeff, and the overall performance by Dominic Reyes here? Yeah, dude, the ending was pretty wild. Um, but, Bill, overall, Dominic Reyes just dominated this fight, man. Uh, I honestly had OSP winning this one by submission for obvious reasons. But, dude, Dominic Reyes looked great in there. He looked great on the feet. Um, uh, I didn't see too much of the groundwork, unfortunately. But um, Reyes just looked dominant, man. Uh, he looked like he had no problems whatsoever with OSB. And this is a guy who's uh, fought John Jones and taken him to a decision. Bill, I think Dominic Reyes may have breathed some new life into his light heavyweight division last night. Yeah, for sure. It'd be interesting to see uh, what's next for him. Um, if I were him, I would think about calling out the winner of next week's main event, which would be uh, Vulcan Ozdemir and uh, Anthony Smith, uh, since things are kind of murky at the top of that division right now, I think uh, any of those would be a good matchup. Although I kind of would like to see Dominic Reyes with a lower top 10 opponent, but with the state of the light heavyweight division right now, I wouldn't know what recommendation to make uh, as far as that goes, uh, because not looking so good. And you know what else wasn't looking so good? Uh, Derek Lewis for probably the first, I, I guess, 14 minutes and 40 seconds <laughs> of his fight with Alexander Volkov. I know he was uncomfortable. I know his balls was hot in there. But, <laughs> but man, it was, it was uncomfortable to watch because Derek Lewis, he, he's interesting to watch fight because it looks like he doesn't even want to be in there. And it looks like he's, just kind of quitting and then out of nowhere he just explodes it's like he he plays possum a little bit or it's more like he plays hippopotamus you know how like <laughs> <laughs> like a, a hippopotamus just like sits in the water and just kind of looks around and like flips its ears and like you know sprays its shit with its tail and you think it's like this big uh cute cuddly animal and they make all these fun board games out of them and they make cute cartoons out of them and a fucking hippopotamus will rip you in half jeff they they kill more people every year than great white sharks you don't want to fuck with a hippopotamus so that's what that's my assessment of Derek lewis's fight style he's playing hippopotamus jeff he wants you to think he's like this big cute cuddly funny dude and then all of a sudden he's ripping you in half um Credit to uh, Alexander Volkov. I thought he fought a great fight. He was picking Derek Lewis apart the entire time. He was picking his shots. He stayed patient even when he had him rocked because he knew that that Lewis was dangerous. And he got off his game plan for a split second at 4 minutes, 49 seconds of the third round, and Derek Lewis let him know that he was bringing that hot ball fire right to Volkov's face. And that's what he did, putting him down with a big right hand at the end of the fight and giving one of the best post-fight <laughs> interview speeches of all time. What were your thoughts on the performance of the Black Beast, Jeff? Bill, I couldn't tell you what exactly happened because <laughs> it looked like things were just peachy for Alexander Volkov. He's doing the right things. He's using that jab effectively. He's keeping Derek Lewis uh, 
at bay with his long arms and long reach because Alexander Volkov's like 27 feet tall. And Bill, Derek Lewis, there's like 15 seconds left in the fight. And Derek Lewis hits a left, hits a one two, which is a jab cross. Alexander Volkov falls to the floor, and Derek Lewis lands three or four more punches. And next thing I know, the ref's waving off the fight. I was like, wait, no, stop. What? So, Bill, I must have gone through like three different emotions before I realized that Derek Lewis had actually won this fight. Um, but, dude, you got to give it to him, man. Um, he somehow pulled it off and, you know, along with his pants. So, <laughs> I, Bill, I don't know what the game plan was. I don't I don't I got nothing for you, Bill. He just he won. Yeah. Yeah. So Joe Rogan asked Derek Lewis if if he wanted a title shot. And he said, oh, my cardio is not like that. He's like, but I'll come on your podcast and smoke some weed. Uh, <laughs> uh, so of course, Derek Lewis is welcome on this podcast. Anytime, you know, we'll, we'll have some beers and, and some ribs and, and whatever else I shit. I might even smoke some weed to talk to Derek Lewis. It'd be a fun interview. So, uh, Derek, if you're listening, let's, uh, let's get in touch here before you get on Rogan. Let's, let's blow you up a little first here. So, uh, sad story for Alexander Volkov because he, you know, with the blink of an eye, he, uh, you know, lets a surefire victory slip through his hands. And it's sad because this is a guy who nobody really knows. Uh, you know, he was a monster over in Bellator. He comes over to the UFC riding a six fight win streak going into this fight with Derek Lewis and dominated him for the better part of three rounds. And with, 11 seconds left gets finished with a nasty knockout. And, you know, six wins in a row is not easy to do as a heavyweight, Jeff, because, you know, any heavyweight you get in there can potentially end the fight with one punch. Uh, and and that's what we saw from Derek Lewis. Uh, and Volkov is one of these guys who, you know, probably would be in the title contention picture if he were, you know, a little bit more of a character and stood out a little bit more. You know, if he had the personality of Derek Lewis and his record, he would probably be a champion right now. You know, he was coming off a knockout of former champion Fabrizio Verdum. He knocked out Stefan Struve. He has a win, win over uh, Roy Nelson. And, uh, you know, just a, an awesome streak. You know, you look at this guy's record. He's got wins over Rico Rodriguez, um, you know, uh, Brett Rogers, and... Uh, you know, on and on. He's he's got a lot of experience. Thirty-seven fights total. He's a monster. Six foot seven. Um, you, you know, this is a guy who who should be at the top of the heavyweight division, but unfortunately, I think this sets him back a lot uh, because you, you know everybody's just going to remember how the fight ended. Uh, nobody's going to remember that he was dominating Derek Lewis. And that's unfortunate for Alexander Volkov, but awesome. If you're Derek Lewis, uh, any other thoughts on this one, Jeff? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought Derek Lewis definitely earned some redemption after his last fight with, um, 
What's his name? Nganu. Um, but Bill, let's move on because this was one of my favorite fights on the card was Michelle Watterson versus Felice Herrig. I thought that Herrig started off okay, and then it was all Michelle Watterson. This was a really fun fight, Bill. Yeah, this was a good one. And I, I was a little concerned for Michelle Watterson because you could really tell the size difference in there. Felice Herrig looked a lot bigger than her. And Michelle Watterson really should be you know, a hundred five pounder. That's what she was in Invicta. Um, but unfortunately the UFC doesn't have that weight division. I don't think they'll be making it anytime soon, uh, because they've made it very clear that they don't want to add any more weight classes right now. I thought it was a great performance by Michelle Waterson. Uh, you know, Felice Herrig is tough. Uh, you know, she's, she's had a lot of impressive victories and, and she's come really close to, you know, breaking into that top five, but every time she gets close, she kind of gets knocked down a few pegs. And Michelle Watterson is just one of these uh, personalities that the UFC really gets behind. Uh, so I don't know what's next for her because she kind of rattled through who's available at the top of the strawweight division, and it doesn't really seem like uh, anything will align for her right now, but uh, hopefully we see her get back in there soon. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree with you, Bill. Um, the strawweight division at the top is a little bottlenecked at the moment. So I think Michelle Watterson is just going to have to hang out and make some more videos of her dancing on Twitter, um, which, you know, I'm not totally opposed to. So, Bill, <laughs> um, going back to these prelims, I think we can skip over the flyweight bout, Bill. I know I was trying to get you excited for this one, but... Um, I think that Done. the only Pettis, yeah, the only Pettis that matters, <laughs> we already discussed. So let's get into this welterweight bout, Bill. Vicente Luque uh, took a fight against late replacement Jalen Turner, who was on uh, Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. And Bill, it was uh, it was not a good night for Turner. I think he was basically a, a lamb led to slaughter here because Vicente Luque annihilated him in less than four minutes and got a really, really nice KO win for him to extend his win streak. Yeah, Vicente Luque is one of these guys, um, you know, much like Volkov, who has been really consistent. Uh, his only loss uh, in the last couple of years since coming up on uh, the Ultimate Fighter season where it was uh, American Top Team versus uh, the Black Zillions, uh, his only loss was to Leon Edwards, who's considered to be at the top of the division uh, right now. Um, you know, he had a loss to Michael Graves in the finale uh, of that season of The Ultimate Fighter, which was season 21, I believe, if memory serves correct. And then he's had a string of finishes ever since then, and he's looked awesome. He's got a knockout win over Bilal Muhammad. Uh, he submitted Nico Price. He knocked out Chad Lapriz in four minutes in his last fight and here comes Jalen Turner who's a highly touted prospect from the contender series he looked awesome on there he got in here he looked a little bit stiff uh in, you know his his striking looked a little awkward a little bit tentative and Vicente Luque had lightning fast uh, counter striking every time Jalen Turner threw something before the punch even landed, something was coming back at his face. And I think he just couldn't get used to that pace. He was not, 
able to get in his rhythm. He looked very uncomfortable towards the end of the fight. And then Vicente Luque, you know, once he found his range, he landed that hard shot. And um, Jalen Turner tried to do some kind of spinning move. And and there was a hook waiting for him on the other end of it. And it wasn't pretty. Uh, it was a violent violent knockout uh he hit the canvas hard and he did not move for a while so hopefully jalen turner is doing okay today uh i want to just kind of breeze over the rest of this card jeff because uh you know just for the sake of time but there was a lot of action on this pre on these prelims so aspen lad remains undefeated uh with a tko in the first round over tanya avenger uh you know which is nothing to shake a stick at uh I'm not really sure what that phrase means, but it sounded right. Uh, Scott Holtzman with a nasty uh, elbow KO over Alan Patrick Silva Alves. And uh, Yana Kuniskaya getting the decision over Lena Landsberg. And we talked about the rest of the fights. Uh, so out of the three, I just mentioned, Jeff, uh, any last words on UFC 229 uh, as far as those fights are concerned on the prelims? Yeah, just go back and check out Aspen Ladd versus Tanya Evinger if you get a chance. Because Aspen Ladd, I didn't know too much about her heading into this, just that she's undefeated. And Tanya Evinger has fought Chris Cyborg before. Uh, she's done really well in Invicta. And Aspen Ladd just came in there and dominated her. Looked good everywhere. Uh, got the fight to the ground and had vicious ground and pound. Uh, was yelling out like a barbarian as she was raining down these shots on Tanya Evinger and got the win in uh, the first round. So good for her. I, I want to see her again. She was vicious in there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It was a very impressive performance. Um, so Aspen lad definitely will be fighting on a main card. I would imagine after a victory over a name like Tanya Evinger, who uh, you know, it is a, an awesomely tough fighter, you know, got in there with cyborg and cyborg couldn't put her away as fast as Aspen lad did. So, um, that that's saying a lot, especially because Tanya Avenger went up and wait to face her. Um, so I think we'll, um, uh, we'll put a nail in the coffin here on UFC 229, and we'll move in. We'll move on to talking about next week. Um, a lot of awesome fights and I, I don't want that to get lost, uh, in the drama that, that happened at the end of it you know as as a as a fan of this sport as a fight fan um you know i i love khabib and connor uh probably equally i was looking forward to a, exactly what happened in the cage but as a martial artist i was disgusted by um i'm consistently disgusted by their behavior uh outside of the cage uh that goes for khabib and connor both uh i, I don't care for the way they act um and I, I hope something changes. You know, I, I know uh, the UFC kind of enables it a little bit using the, the dolly footage and the promos and everything, but I think they tried to put a damper on it by not having a crowd at the first press conference. I don't know if that was an attempt to, to kind of calm things down a little bit. I, I don't know what the solution here is, which is why I also don't want to spend too much time on it. Um, uh, just because I don't like to stay in the negative. So let's let's look forward to uh, what I'm sure will be a drama-free main event. And I'm talking about UFC Fight Night 138, which is going to be in New Brunswick. Not New Jersey, Jeff. New Brunswick, Canada. So if you thought you were getting tickets to this one, you're going to need a passport. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the main event here are two true martial artists, Vulcan Ozdemir and Anthony Smith. Uh, 
this is going to be an awesome main event. Uh, I didn't care for the promo they showed for it last night. I don't think it got anybody excited for it, but, uh, you know, as a real MMA fan, I am really looking forward to this fight. Uh, I think it's going to be awesome that these are two guys who like to stand and strike. They both have, uh, explosive knockout power. Um, Vulcan Ozdemir, for those of you who don't know, for when Anthony Johnson was was on his tear in the UFC and knocking out everybody, uh, Ozdemir was his main sparring partner, and he was giving Anthony Johnson uh, hell in the gym. Uh, from you know, as legend has it, and Anthony Smith, since he's moved up to light heavyweight, he's just been on the legend killer tour. You know, knocking out Rashad Evans, knocking out Shogun Hua, and just looking like an absolute war warrior in there doing it. Um, so what are your thoughts on this main event here, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I think this one's going to be explosive. I think that this one doesn't go past the second round. So I'm really excited for both of these guys. Both are finishers. Ozdemir, you know, his nickname is no time, which, you know, I, I don't know, man. I think that there's going to be fireworks in this one. Uh, someone's going to sleep, man. Um, but, Bill, uh, I don't know if this one is next weekend. I think this card might be, looks like October 27th. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think I was just looking so forward to move on. You go see 229. Yeah, so, all right. I guess we have plenty of time to break this one down uh, in the future. Um We'll be definitely doing an episode next week. And after that, I'm going to be on vacation heading down to Cuba, Jeff, try and bring you back some cigars. Uh, Bill, you know me. I'm going to see if I get <laughs> I'm going to see if I can get a, get in the wrestling room with you all Romero. <laughs> yeah, that, that should be pretty easy. Um, one of my good friends is Cuban. Um, and there, there's a lot of places to grapple out there. That's like the main thing. Um, grappling and baseball, I believe, are like the main, uh, the main sports out there in Cuba. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, so I guess we'll have plenty of time to break down this fight card uh, before it happens. Uh, let's see. We'll check out what else we have on the horizon here, uh, so we can end on a more positive note see what we got coming up in the um, near future we have october 12th matt mitrione and ryan bader uh going at it uh in the next round of bellator's uh heavyweight tournament the winner of that is going to face the winner of chael sonnen and uh fade or and that is on october 13th uh so we have that going on next weekend which I didn't even know what was happening. So now I'm excited for some Bellator action. Ryan Bader and Matt Mitrione should be a very interesting fight. Um, and then the co-main event of that card is going to be Roy Nelson and Sergey uh, Karatanov. That should be fun. Uh, don't see anything else on this card. Lorenz Larkin is fighting on that card. That should be part of the welterweight tournament. He's fighting... Eon Pascos, that should be a fun fight. Um, so that's October 12th. So that's Friday, I believe. And that's going to be in Connecticut at the Mohegan Sun. And then Bellator 208 is the very next day. 
in Uniondale, New York, and that's Fedor against Chael. And then the co-main event, Ben Henderson against Sada Wad. That's a fucking awesome fight. Uh, that's really exciting. I'm really happy to hear that that's next weekend now, too. That should be awesome. So uh, any thoughts on Bellator 207 and 208 on back-to-back -back nights here, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I'm excited. I think they picked a really good weekend to do it because uh, the UFC is taking a weekend off. Um, I'm excited to see how this heavyweight tournament turns out. Uh, Matt Mitrione and Ryan Bader, really good uh, finishers, uh, both really, really talented on the feet. Um, I'm curious to see if Ryan Bader is going to counter Matt Mitrione with some wrestling because we've seen Mitrione struggle a little bit against grapplers. Um, and I'm really excited for Fedor versus Chael Sonnen here um, because just the weight discrepancy is going to be massive. So I'm curious to see how Chael deals with that. Um, Benson Henderson versus Sadawad. Like you said, I think that fight's going to be fireworks, dude. I think that that might be a fight to, to light a fire under Benson Henderson's ass here, uh, which I think he's needed. I think he's uh, he's plateaued a little bit ever since he came over to Bellator. Um, but yeah, Bill, um, Congo's on this card as well. Alexander Shlomenko, who I thought was retired. Um <laughs> But yeah, he's in Bill. the he's in the Gray Maynard Club. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bill, so before we close out here, I got one last question for you. Um, do we have a main event for UFC 230 yet? Do you remember what that was? Yes, it is Valentina Shevchenko against Sajara Eubanks for the UFC Flyweight Championship. Boom. Uh, man. <laughs> come on jeff i didn't sell you on it with my broadcaster voice <laughs> bill i wanted to buy tickets to this one because it's going to be at msg again it's gonna well be maybe they'll be cheaper i guess but i also don't want to i don't want to watch sujar eubanks not make weight and then fight valentina shevchenko bill uh that would be so unfortunate for valentina if that happened to her twice in a row um yeah sujar eubanks so the reason she wasn't able to fight for the title initially uh, and the reason Nico Montano got the opportunity she did to win the belt is that she didn't make weight and uh, wasn't allowed to fight. So hopefully she does. Uh, I have to say it's unusual that they're going to headline Madison Square Garden uh, you know, with uh, a women's title that was just vacated and they're giving a title shot to someone who couldn't get a title shot in their last fight because they couldn't make weight and has five professional fights. But, um, you know, these women are both warriors. I, I think this could be a really positive thing because if they go out there and they put on a great performance, uh, headlining Madison square garden, uh, this could be something really phenomenal for women's MMA. So let's try and take a positive look at it and, uh, let's congratulate these two women for, an awesome opportunity that they're going to be getting, you know, uh, there were a lot of fighters who said no to, uh, to taking this headlining spot. And I can't imagine why, I mean, headlining Madison square garden, aside from how shitty the New York state athletic commission has been lately. Uh, you know, if you're a professional fighter, this, this has to be uh, on your bucket list, you know, the most famous arena in the world. 
so Valentina Shevchenko and Sajara Eubanks are, are going to be able to headline it. Uh, you know, we've had some awesome fights headline Madison Square Garden, including Conor McGregor and Eddie Alvarez. Um, and if you get tickets for this, Jeff, you're going to get to see Nate Diaz and Dustin Poirier go at it in the co-main event. I think that's worth it alone. So um, I'd be checking out the cheap prices on StubHub if I were you. Uh, it sounds like an awesome opportunity to uh, go to a live fight and, you know, maybe witness some history here. Maybe we're going to see an awesome war between Valentina Shevchenko and Sajara Eubanks. Um, uh, I can guarantee they're not going to be jumping over the cage to attack any coaches afterwards. So uh, there's that. Uh, <laughs> uh, so let, let's hope for the best on this one and, and congratulate these ladies on, on an awesome opportunity for them and for women's MMA in general, because, well, because it's my show, Jeff, and I want to end it on a positive <laughs> note. That's why. <laughs> Speaking of, Bill, I'm looking at this card, and without getting too far into it, I actually don't care for the main event that much. The rest of the card looks amazing up and down. And, you know, we'll get into this more when the time comes. But, Bill, I think I, think I might have to buy a ticket for this one. Yeah, I think you should. And, uh, you know, live tweet it there. And you can follow Jeff's live tweets from UFC 230 at Madison Square Garden next month at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. And if you guys want to get a hold of me, it's at MMA on the Rocks on all your favorite social media platforms. That's all we got for this week. My balls was hot. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye. Nice. <laughs>